a welcome. I want to again say thank you for being with us. I want to welcome you here to Flipside and welcome our uh, Flipside South Valley and Flipside Rapid City and others who are joining us online. And just let you online, our, our online community know that on Christmas Eve, both services at 3 and 5.30 will be streamed. So you can join along us, uh, along with us in either of those services at those times online as well. We're in part four of this series that I've developed called The Worst Christmas Ever. And we're looking at four characters surrounding the Christmas story. We started looking at Mary and then went to Joseph. Uh, and then last week looked at Anna. And this week we're looking at a, a fourth person in that story. But to set this up, I, I just want to, I want you to think for a little bit if you can remember what it was like to wait with excitement for Christmas. Do you remember that if you have those memories of when you were a little, when you were just a child and, and, and the, the ramp up? I remember back in the day, the ramp up of the week before, they always had claymation cartoons on television in the evening time getting us ready. Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, the claymation version of that. Back when television was good, they always had a Charlie Brown something in there. There was just this, this, this excitement in, in the three networks that were on television, this building up to Christmas. And, and I remember as a, as, a, as a little boy, just, just cannot, I can't wait till Christmas morning. I had, you had to wait, but you know what's coming. But there was this excitement that built towards it. And, and for us, where we grew up, uh, our church did multiple Christmas Eve services, and they always did one at 11 o'clock in the evening on Christmas Eve. And they would let us out right after midnight. And there was this excitement, this anticipation that we actually stayed awake till Christmas morning and Santa was going to show up pretty soon. And, 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 and there were times when, when, when we're looking towards Christmas and, and we knew there wasn't going to be a whole bunch under the tree, but there was still the excitement of what could be. And there were times when we knew there was going to be a lot under the tree. And there was definitely excitement like what might be... And, and, and there were those times when, as a, as a child, I'd look under the tree right before I'd go to bed, and there's nothing. But I knew if I just waited a little bit longer. Do you remember that? Yeah. See, some waiting is exciting. But not all waiting. Had a drive into Fresno this last week. Waiting in line on Blackstone is not exciting. You got to wait in a doctor's office. Not exciting. You got to wait at the post office. Not exciting. You got to wait to be seated. Not exciting. Some waiting is exciting. Some is not. Read one study this week that said, we will spend six months of our lives waiting at stoplights. Can you believe that? That's terrible. What a... That, that same study said, we'll spend five years of our lives waiting in lines. Five years. So waiting in lines. See, some waiting is fun when we're waiting for, oh, I can't wait to see what's under the tree. But other waiting, not so much. The only time 
that waiting is fun is when the outcome's something you're looking forward to, right? That's when it's fun. As we look at the Christmas story in the Bible, God gets especially talkative around the Christmas holiday. God, in his word, spoke the most by volume around the Christmas event than any other biblical event. By volume, God had the most to say around the Christmas event than any other biblical event. Judging by the sheer amount of God's speech, Christmas is God's favorite time of year. However, sometimes what God has to say is wait. Which wait? This story of the first Christmas, this fourth person we'll look at this morning is a man named Simeon. And God had a lot to say to him. And God was going to do some significant things through him. But one of the things God told him was to wait. But that command to wait for Simeon, it came attached to something that was exciting. It came with something that was, that was worth waiting for. The only problem with Simeon's waiting is he had to wait a long time. Now, please understand right up front. There's a beautiful part to maturity in the waiting. When we learn to wait well. If God ever puts you in a holding pattern in a waiting room, don't try to rush through that. It can be a beautiful time. It can be a very rich time of growth and development and maturing if you just wait well, don't rush through the waiting. There's great value in waiting. There's great value in waiting. Don't think it's a way, when God puts you in a waiting pattern, in a, in a waiting room, in a holding pattern, don't rush through that. Just sit there in the waiting and wait. Here's the value of it. Isaiah 40, 31. But those who hope, and that word hope means literally wait. You wait with hope. You wait with expectation. Those who wait in the Lord, is what that says. In hope, they'll renew their strength. They'll soar on wings with the, like eagles. They'll run and not grow. They'll walk and not Don't rush through the waiting time. Things aren't happening as fast as you want. Don't rush through that. We want stuff to, don't rush through that. When is this at? Don't rush through that. When we learn to wait well. It's like we sprout wings like eagles. We can run and not grow. We can walk the long miles and not faint. There's great value in waiting. Simeon learned that well. There's a lot we can learn from this man. Let's open a Bible. Luke chapter 2, verses 22 through 35. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, we'll look at that later, it's found in Leviticus 12, Joseph and Mary took him, Jesus, to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice, Mary and Joseph did, in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. 
Now, there was, a, a, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation. Remember, we talked about that a couple of years ago. It means the comfort, the comforter. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents, Mary and Joseph, brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you prepared in the sight of all the nations. This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against. So the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And the sword will push your soul too, he said to his mother. This man, Simeon, was told to wait. And he waited. And he waited. And he waited. I want to unpack this. This story of Simeon. There's a lot we can learn from it. Back to verses 22 through 24. The time for the purification rites required by the law of Moses had come. So Mary and Joseph took the baby, Jesus, to the temple to be presented as every firstborn male is supposed to be. And they offered the sacrifice that was in keeping with the law of the Lord. And what's the Bible say here? What, What sacrifice does it name? What's it say? Pair of doves or... So let me, let me give you a little context before I give some content. The context of this is this is following the command of Leviticus 12. And the command of the Leviticus 12 says that 40 days after the birth of the, of the male child, the male is to, presented, to be presented at the temple for dedication. So, so this is happening 40 days after Jesus' birth. At eight days, he's presented for a circumcision. At 40 days, they bring him back. And two things happen in this dedication ceremony. One of them is that they offer a monetary gift for the privilege and right of raising their son in a godly home as God's. Right from the beginning, we learned that children are expensive. <laughs> and they were to bring this child back and offer a monetary gift. Part of the reason It's because they understood that this baby that they'd been entrusted with by God was created by God, knit together in his mother's womb. Days already written in the book, scripted out, gifted to the parents. And the parents were given this honorary gift back to God, saying, thank you for the gift you've entrusted to us. We understand the privilege That parenthood is. And we understand the responsibility that comes with it. It is our job as mom and dad to raise this child. It's not grandparents' job. It's not culture's job. It's not society. It doesn't take a village to raise a child. It takes a mommy and a daddy. And that's what they were saying. We understand that. The other thing that would happen during this opportunity is a a sacrifice would be given. Now, 
in Leviticus 12. The sacrifice is actually a lamb or two doves or two pigeons. Luke only lists the sacrifice of two doves or two pigeons. Why does Luke leave out the lamb? Here's why. Real practically. Because the law, the command and the offering is that the parents are to give a lamb or if they're too poor, they can offer a pair of doves or two pigeons. So what do we know about Mary and Joseph? They're poor. They're poor. Mary and Joseph offer two birds because they're dirt poor. Please, this is so difficult for the American church to understand. Please get this. This is, I'm, I'm going to give you a biblical worldview, not a Christianized church view. I'm going to give you a biblical worldview. Apparently, you can't invite Jesus into your financial situation just to make your financial situation improve. See, what we want to do in a minute, we want to attach Jesus to that which we want to get better and expect because we put Jesus there, all of a sudden things get better. That's what we want. That's what we expect. And especially in America, it's so tied to our economic viability. That's the whole, this is the whole prosperity gospel. This is, this is the, the wealth and health movement. This is the name, the blab it and grab it movement. This is, like, like we want to use Jesus as our little magic bullet and, and talcum powder to put there and then all of a sudden. But apparently, Mary and Joseph hadn't heard of the prosperity gospel because Jesus showed up in a very real way in their lives and they're still poor. This woman was, she was the first, we talked about this three weeks back. This one was the first woman that God ever, the, ever used the words, my favorite. She was God's first favorite. And he was the man that was considered worthy to be the foster father of the Messiah. These were incredible people. And yet, even with Jesus being the bit of their incredible lives, they're still poor. We got to understand this. There's no shame in being poor. There's shame in injustice attached to it. But there's no shame in being poor. We work with, with Tita down in, in the largest urban slum in Central America in Guatemala. She works with the poorest of the poor of the poor. She's been called the Mother Teresa of the urban slums. I mean, she, and, and she tells me, when I first started working with her, one of the things she hammered home to me, she said, Carl, you have to understand, there's no shame in poverty. There's harm in the injustice attached to it. But just because someone's poor doesn't mean they live under shame. Because Jesus was... Do you realize that Jesus never signed a lease agreement on any apartment? He never had equity in anything. He never had a more... He, never, he didn't even have a pillow to call his own. Everywhere he laid his head was a borrowed bed and a borrowed pillow. Every roof he slept under was someone else's roof.
We have to understand that Jesus has a unique identity and brotherhood with the poor. There's a special place in God's economy to be as associated with the as associated with Jesus. Luke 6:20 says, "Blessed are the poor." Now, when Matthew records the Sermon on the Mount, where this comes from, Matthew includes a word in there. Matthew says, "Blessed are the poor in spirit," but Luke, inspired by the Holy Spirit, says, "Blessed are the poor." See, it's in the book of Luke. And this is why we see so much of the biblical narrative surrounding the Christmas story around Mary and, 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 and this experience of, of, of being born in a, in a stable and a feeding trough and these poor chefs. This is why we read it in Luke. Because in Luke, Luke places special emphasis on the poor and on women. See, it's in Luke that we read of Mary's account of the birth. It's in Luke that we read of the emphasis on the poor surrounding the advent of God into the world. It's in Luke that we read the blessings of the poor. So please understand that there is a unique relationship that God chooses to have with those who do not have. Do you understand? And it's into this family that, 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 that God chooses that God chooses the full revelation of who God is to be born. Verse 25. There was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. This man, Simeon, he's an old man. How old? Let's try that again. This man, Simeon, He's an old man. How old is he? Good. Thanks for asking. We have no idea. I don't know. Bible doesn't tell. All we know is what the Bible tells us. We don't know. But tradition tells us. He's 113. 113 years old, according to tradition. This man was special. Not just because he's old. I'm going to give you one guess, and you better get it right. There's only one person that Scripture records as ever holding Jesus. Guess who it is? Simeon. The only person Scripture records as ever holding Christ. Now we assume Mary did. How could a mama not? We assume Joseph did. He's a good daddy. But what we're told, in all of Scripture, the only person to ever hold and cradle Christ is this old man, Simeon. The Bible says he's righteous and devout. That means that he's righteous and just, a man full of integrity in his relationships with other people, and he's devout. That means he's a man of obedience and worship before God. He's a man, an old man, who had lived his life waiting for the consolation, the appearing of the consolation of God, the comfort of God, and he lived his life in good relationship with other people and in right relationship with his God, waiting and watching for the consolation of what God would do. And so Simeon gives us an incredible model of who we are to become. An example, if you will. Now, let me just say this about the Bible. This, the Word of God, is given to us that we might become 
as the book of James says, mature and complete. Don't look at this as a, as a to-do. Don't look at this as, as stuff we're supposed to do. That's religion. And that'll burn you up and dry you out real quick. This word isn't given to us so that as a to-do list. All a to-do list is, is behavioral modification. Here's the problem with behavioral modification. Behavioral modification doesn't last. You can't change behavior until you change your heart. Behavior modification will last for a little bit, and then you go back to the old heart. And so this word is given to us that we might become. The problem is so many people read this and, and, understand, and teach this as if it's behavior modification. Do this, don't do that. Don't look at it like that. This gives us something to become. And, and, and we see in Simeon, examples of things that we can become. And so as, 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 we, as we look at what could be the worst ever, to move from the worst ever, one of the things is I must become that person who waits and watches for the coming of the Messiah. I have got to become the person who waits and watches for God and His presence and what He's doing. See, here's what I know. Waiting and watches, waiting and watching keeps us from drifting. Waiting and watching keeps me from drifting. If I'm not waiting and if I'm not watching, focused on eternity, two things are going to happen. See if this isn't true. If I'm not waiting or watching, focused on eternity, two things are going to One, I'm going to be brutal towards others. And two, I'm going to be carnal and chasing my earthly appetites. That's what's going to happen. If, if, I'm, not, if I'm not becoming the person who waits and watches for the come, the, the, the appear, the revelation, the, the key, if I'm not waiting and watching, my focus there, I'm going to treat you not very good. And I'm going to chase after all my own earthly appetites with a vengeance. Because that's where my focus is. See, his return, that kingdom, the Bible calls it, that is our blessed hope. And that's what we're to be watching for. Titus 2.13 is a great verse. While we what? While we what? While we wait. For what? For the blessed hope. What is the blessed hope? The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. See, if we're going to move from the worst ever, the first thing that has to move is our attention to the waiting and the watching of the appearing again when Christ comes back. That's our hope. I guarantee you, I guarantee you, all the meanness on social media, on online, on texts, on posts, on responses are done at the hands of minds who are not focused on eternity. Would you agree? You better, because I'm right. Not only that, all my sin and all my chasings of the appetites of my flesh and materialism are done at my hands because my mind is not focused on eternity. Would you agree? Would you agree that about me? Well, you better, because I'm right. I know me. Well, let me tell you this. 
all your sin, all your living outside of God's standards, all your appetites of the flesh and materialism are done because your minds are not focused on eternity. Would you agree? Well, you better because I'm right. See, here's what I know. When my mind isn't focused on eternity, the things of this world, or when my mind is focused on eternity, the things of the world are put in proper order. The reason why things get so out of whack, why relationships get so tore up, well, well, well the reason why things get so screwed up in our lives in this world is because minds aren't focused on eternity. The waiting and the watching for our blessed hope. Where was Simeon when he was waiting and watching? Where was he? The church. The temple. He was in worship. He was in prayer. And he was at the place where people gather for worship and prayer. See, here's what I know. The older I get, the more I realize that, that this world is, is less my home than it used to be. Not that it's ever, if I'm in Christ, not that it's ever really been my home. I just realize it's not my home. I had this uh, event that I put on for a bunch of our uh, church planners in the Valley, Central California. Uh, we got a, a bunch of people together, those in ministry, and just loved on them and did some training and, and treated them to a really fun night together at, and uh, brothers and sisters in ministry, it was really, really, really good. Part of that time, we, we broke up into pretty small groups, and we just prayed for each other. Uh, and, and this one uh, pastor, uh, he shared in our group, he shared, you know, pray for me. I'm feeling my age. I'm feeling just the, uh, the brutality of life. Uh, I just, you know, I just am realizing that that I'm, I'm not young like I used to be, and I, I want to I wanna go into this next stage like, well, I want to I wanna be helpful for my family, for ministry. You know, I'm 32 years old, and I'm just feeling... I... Now, if you're younger than 32, you're probably thinking, hey, yeah, I get it, man, that's old. But for those of us that got a little more years to us, well, it'd be good to go back to 32. He's <laughs> a young, strapping guy. So don't start talking to me about how, how your body aches. But, but here's what I, I know is happening with him. And if you're wise and paying attention with an eye to eternity, You'll realize this too. As we get older, God in his wisdom starts to narrow down what we want to do and starts to narrow down what we're able to do. See, when we're young, I want to do it all. I'm going to do it all. And as I get older, I start to think, I don't, I don't want to do it all anymore. And then God keeps narrowing us till, till we realize all that stuff that I wanted to do, 
I can't do that anymore. I was just talking to someone between services and he had all his boys back. They went out riding and he crashed and burned and now he's hurting. And I said, did you listen to the first message? We can't do all we want to do. And that's God in his wisdom is starting to pare us back. He's starting to trim us down. He's starting to narrow our focus. Why? To begin a transition from this home to that home. And as I get older, see if this isn't true, God starts to reduce down both my desires and my abilities and starts to put me in a waiting room. And when I'm in a waiting room, like Simeon was, I'm still passionate. I still got a lot of piss and vinegar. But here, but now it's a passion that's grown for eternity. Not everything else in this world. Do you understand what I'm saying? If you don't understand what I'm saying, you're not old yet. If you do understand what I'm saying, you got some maturity in you. See, here's what I know. And this is what Simeon understood. This world has little hold on me when I choose to quit holding on to it. I expected a bigger amen out of you from that one because I thought that one was good. And this was Simeon. He got a word from God when he was young. To watch and wait for the consolation, the comfort that would come from God. And his perspective changed to the Messiah. And he never wavered from it. And spent 113 years watching and waiting. Please understand the sooner you and I develop a passion for eternity, the more purposeful, the more full, the more blessed, the more beautiful life will become. Don't forfeit any more fullness, purpose, beauty, and blessing. If we're going to move from the worst ever, it's got to start with a waiting and a watching for there more than here. Verse 26. It had been revealed to Simeon by the Holy Spirit that, the world, that, that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. We've got to understand something. And this isn't real popular. But we've got to understand that to move from the worst ever, I must be aware of life's timetable. I got to be aware of life's timetable. Simeon was keenly aware that his life had a timetable to it. That he knew that his days were appointed. He was one of the few lucky ones that God said, Simeon, you ain't got nothing to worry about until I'm done with this part in your life. He was aware that his life had a timetable to it. So he didn't get wrapped up in the worries and stresses and drama of the world. He knew what we know in Job 14, that our days are numbered, that they've already been decided by God, that every man is allotted a certain amount of days on earth. That's what the Bible tells us. He knew what the psalmist would write in Psalm, what psalmist did write in Psalm 139, that all our days have been ordained for us and written in God's book before one of them came to be. He knew what the Bible said in Psalm 90, 
that said to teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. And because Simeon knew and remembered that his days had a timetable to him, he gained a heart of wisdom and said, I'm not going to get wrapped up in the little time I have here. Even 113 years is so brief here compared to eternity. I'm not going to get wrapped up in the little timetable that I'm experiencing here because there's something greater. I'm going to remember that. And when we realize that earthly life is on a timetable, it helps us keep an eternal perspective. Because no longer do we live or believe like we're going to live forever. And we don't wait till we're old to realize that. We realize right now, our life's attached to a time. This was Simeon. He knew his days were numbered. And he knew that his days would not until he saw the consolation, until he completed the task that God put him on earth to do. Here's what I know. When you are on assignment from God, there's no fear of death. When your life is on assignment from God, there is no fear of death. If I'm still on the clock, if I'm still on the clock serving the kingdom, I can be at peace about the time when he takes me off the clock. I'm okay with that. I know I got an assignment. And there's nothing that I can do in that assignment if I'm serving my assignment that I got anything to worry about. Such was Simeon. He understood what, he would, what we would later read in Acts 13, 36. When David, King David, way back in the old, when he served God's purpose in his own generation, after he had done what God put him on her to do, in his generation, he fell asleep. He was buried with his ancestors and his body decayed. Huh. I love the simplicity of the Bible. And I love how it just kind of lays it out there, right? David was on assignment from God. And when he had completed that assignment in his generation, he died. He was buried and the worms started doing their thing. That's what the Bible says. What better statement could be said of a man or a woman to serve God's purpose in your generation and then go to heaven and let the people bury you and go back to the church and eat potato salad? What better thing? And I know my life's on a timetable. And as long as God has me on the clock, I ain't got nothing to worry about. And as soon as he wants me to punch out, let me get on. I mean, what would cause a man to live like this if not the singular focus of eternity? It's amazing. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him. There it is. Can you imagine being recorded in Scripture as the only one to ever hold baby Jesus? Took him in his arms. And the only thing he had left to do was give a hallelujah. Praise God by saying, Sovereign Lord, as you've promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation of the Gentiles 
and the glory of your people Israel, the child's father and Mary and Joseph, they marveled at what was said about this baby. What had been the worst ever, 113 years for Simeon are the worst ever. People in hard times, people oppressed, under oppression, had now turned the corner finally, after 113 years away, had finally turned the corner because Jesus showed up. The light in the darkness, glory from ashes. See, here's what we gotta be, if we're gonna move from the worst ever, we must be able to see what God is orchestrating. Simeon never lost sight of what God was doing. Simeon never lost sight of the pieces God was bringing. Simeon never lost sight of what God was orchestrating in his life and around his life. If we're going to move from the and not get so wrapped up in the worst that we experience, we got to have eyes to see what God is orchestrating. See, here's how it goes. If all I see is what I see, I will not see all there is to be seen. Did you catch that? If all I see is what I see, I will not see all there is to be seen. There's more to be seen than what you see. There's more going on than what you experience. Everybody else saw a newborn baby. Simeon saw the consolation of God. If all I see is what I see, I won't see all there is to be seen. I got to be able to see what God is orchestrating. Simeon said, oh, God, I see what you're doing. A light for the revelation of the Gentiles. Those who are outside of our family get to be adopted in. I see what you're doing. The glory of your people, Israel. This person, this baby named Jesus is now the chief cornerstone. He will be rejected by many, but he will be the chief cornerstone. This was a blessing from old man Simeon. And after he had walked through this, in the celebration of the Christ child before his mother and father, uh, earthly mother and father, Mary and Joseph. He uttered one more thing. And one of the most profound things that Simeon would say. Because his eyes were focused on eternity. He knew he was living on this timetable. And, and, and so he had this perspective to see what God was orchestrating. And he uttered these words. Simeon blessed them. That had happened. And then he said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And mama, the sword will pierce your heart, your soul too. See, what happens at the arrival of the Christ, that Simeon, because of his years of waiting in the waiting room, watching, waiting for the consolation, understanding that God had a, a mission for him in this world, with eyes that could see what God was working. He said of Jesus that all of humanity would be divided into two groups. The falling of many who would miss the Christ child. And the rising of many who would receive him. And all of humanity is divided into those two camps because of this one singular child who caused the rising and falling of many. Who would force humanity to say, you will either take your allegiance 
and your affection and give them to the things of this world or you'll take your allegiance and affection and give them to me. Dividing line of all humanity. Life and allegiance apart from Jesus will only lead to the falling and failing of many. Life and allegiance attached to Christ will lead to the rising of abundant life in eternity. And there are only two camps. The camp of the worst ever. Camp of fullness of life and eternity. For some of you today is going to be your Simeon moment. Where you're going to choose this day to keep your eyes focused on eternity. And loosen your grips, the hold you have on this world. It's going to be a day for you to choose your own mindset of watching and waiting for the return of the Messiah. It's going to be a day where you choose to begin to see God's orchestration of the days of your life on purpose. It's going to be a day for you to choose of which side of that equation, rising or falling, you will stand. For those of you who have not yet attached your life and allegiance to Jesus, life is going to be continual flux between the worst ever and just wishing something would change. It's going to be continued flux of uncertainty while you're alive and fear in your death. The rising and falling of many. So I want to do a couple things. As we put ourselves in a position to celebrate the advent of this child, I want to do a couple things on this morning. And one of those is give you an opportunity To give your allegiance and affection solely and wholly to Him. I want you to pray with me. This may be the day for some to finally, with certainty, give your allegiance and affection wholly to Christ. If you don't know that you've done that with certainty, if you know you haven't, I would invite you in this moment, using whatever words means that to you, I would suggest they would be along the lines of, Jesus, I choose you today. And I give you my full allegiance and all my affection. Please forgive me of my sin. I accept your forgiveness. Make me the new person you desire me to be. I give you today my full affection, my full allegiance. However that sounds in your head, say, God, I choose you. Because you've chosen me. 
There's only two camps. For those of us who have a test, our allegiance and our affection to Jesus. We stand in this moment with eyes of Simeon that sees the consolation, that sees the comfort that has already come. So that we can live with whatever days we have remaining, with no fear of death, so that we can live with whatever days we have remaining, with the certainty of God's orchestration of those days, so that we can live in the presence of the comfort of God, so we can live with the certainty of eternal blessings that are already being prepared for us. And God asks nothing of us in return other than our allegiance and our continued affection. No other offering. No other giving. No other work. No other performance. No other duty. No other loves. But our allegiance and our affection given to Him. And the best way that His people do this is exactly what Simeon did. Is to hold that Jesus close and give a hallelujah. Is to hold that Jesus close and give gratitude for what has already appeared. Is to hold that Jesus close and to say, thank you God. You've already come. You've already intervened. You've already made new. And the only thing I have left is to give you my gratitude. God, that's what we want to do in this moment. It just simply give you thanks and gratitude for all you've done. Looking forward to what you are doing in our midst right now and are going to do. You bring comfort to your people. In your name I pray, amen. Think for a moment. What was it like? For Simeon to hold that baby. For Simeon to, to hold that Christ child, 40 days old, and to realize that in that moment he was holding the consolation, the comfort for all human, all mankind. What was it like for him to stand in that moment and, and look at this baby and say, God, I got nothing to offer you but a, but a thank you. Can you imagine? Like realizing anything that I could give back to you pales in comparison to what you've given me. And I hold this consolation in my Can you imagine the gratitude that would well up in his heart? And then think about it. As the father saw that old man, as God in heaven looked down and saw that old man holding his son. I imagine God being in heaven going, finally, somebody understands what it is I've just done. And as Simeon stands there holding this baby, saying, God, I can't give you anything. You've given, so thank you. And I can imagine God, the Father in heaven, saying, thank you, Simeon. You get it. 
And the Father, His heart just... Someone understands. And then imagine for a moment the angels in heaven. As they look down and see Simeon in this moment of gratitude. As Simeon's heart just bursts and breaks and says, God, thank you. Like, look at the, what can I give you but a thank you? It just pales in comparison. I imagine the angels in heaven look down and see Simeon. Like, you get it finally, what we've been doing for eternity. You, someone on earth finally gets it. And the angels in all of heaven rejoicing. Can you imagine Simeon and that being him in that moment? We get that very opportunity. Because Jesus has come. And because we've attached, those of us who have attached our lives to him. Now, we live in that moment of holding Christ. Being reminded of God's goodness. The consolation he's already given. And the only thing God requires back is the expression of our allegiance and affection. Where we say, thank you. I got nothing else to give you but a hallelujah. Thank you. Listen.